Hello, welcome to Supernatural Stories, the show where you'll hear real stories of the supernatural from real people all across Canada. I'm your host, Cal Goodbaum, broadcasting from Rocking Chair Studio in Toronto. Hope you enjoy the show. Schools can be pretty creepy places. The school that I went to from kindergarten until grade four was North Preparatory School in Toronto, North Prep for short. The school had a very large field on one side of it, and this helped to make up for the fact that the front face of the school was surrounded by a cemetery. I've never seen another school that is surrounded by graves. The Mazira Sick Benefit Society Cemetery set up a century ago occupies several blocks along Roselawn Avenue. At recess, children thin enough fit between the posts of the fence and would slip into the cemetery to disturb graves, cause childish mayhem. I wish I had a spooky story of my own to tell you about that cemetery, I don't. On a later episode, I'll dive into spooky stories of cemeteries. This episode, though, isn't just about creepily located schools. It's about the genuinely haunted ones. We'll be hearing stories about haunted schools and auditoriums in Ontario and Nova Scotia, beginning with Humber College's Lakeshore Campus in Etobicoke. I spoke to Jeffrey about his unique experience when he spent a night in the cafeteria at Humber. I was taking part of this event at Humber that was like a Big Brother thing, similar to the TV show, where they got 24 students over 24 hours, and every hour one would be voted off. The contest started at 8 a.m. and then ended at 8 a.m. the next day. If you were lucky enough to be one of the last to be voted out, then you'd be spending the night in the calf. I was in the top four, so I was in the calf pretty late. This contest was being broadcast live on webcam feed. I think there was like three or four cameras throughout the calf, and you could just log in on the Humber website and watch the Big Brother house, essentially. What happened is so unexplainable. So I'm in the cafeteria at three in the morning, and I get voted off, and I leave. I walk out of the cafeteria, go home. It's like 3.30 or 3.45, and I tune into the webcam feed to see like who got voted off, who's going to win, whatever. So I'm watching the screen through one of the cameras. The remaining three or four people that were left in there, all but one of them was asleep. And I just see this total absence of light. Like I've never seen anything like this on a screen. It was similar to like, I don't know if you've ever held up a magnet to a old like CRT tube TV, how it just frees the picture up. It was similar to that, but just like complete blackness. And it just sort of moved across the screen in front of the windows. I was so bewildered by the time I realized, hey, like I should be getting like a couple screenshots of this. It was gone. I fumbled the keyboard, tried to get a couple, couldn't get any. And I thought, well, you know, it's four in the morning. I'm tired and, you know, maybe I just didn't see anything. Like, maybe it was hallucination because I've been up so late, whatever, stressed out, school. So I just wrote it off. And so I woke up the next morning and whatever. A couple days later, I was sitting on the picnic bench in front of the calf, oddly enough, where the whole thing went down. One of the girls, who's the last one who was awake, comes running up to me and she says, I've been looking for someone to tell. Everyone's going to think I'm crazy. I saw, like, the craziest thing after you left. 
she tells me that she saw this man. I remember her words. She said, he looked like he wasn't real. Like, he looked like he wasn't there. Sort of had this foggy aura around him. And he was wearing these really old military clothes. They weren't, like, worn. They looked like they were just tailored. And he had, like, all, you know, gray hair and just a really old appearance and old styling and an old mustache and all this stuff. And she said he was staring directly at me through the window, just sort of walking slowly along the window, looking at me. And so I asked her, what time exactly did this happen? And sure enough, she points out, you know, exactly where I saw the black absence of light move across the screen on the webcam. And it was the exact same time, around 4.15. At this point, I have to tell her, well, you know, you're never going to believe this, but when you saw that, I was watching it on the webcam, and I saw the wildest black blob thing move across the windows at a walking pace. Putting two and two together, something went down there. The fact that we both saw clearly a paranormal something at the same time. So unexplainable how that could have happened. It would have had to be a ghost. I've always been skeptical and I've always told myself I'm not gonna buy into any crazy paranormal anything unless I experience it myself. I definitely experienced it myself. I had heard stories about Humber. Crazy stuff kind of went down there, like just off the top of my head. I know the auditorium, it's right at the corner of Kipling and Lakeshore. That building was built by inmates, or sorry, um, patients. We'll call them inmates though, because <laughs> early 1900s mental institution. Yeah, a lot of crazy stuff went down there. Patients were used to build one of the buildings. A lot of them died during the construction. There was like a group of nurses who committed suicide by drowning in the backyard, back onto the lake. This sounds like something you'd read in like an old horror book or something like that, but I feel like that's just how it goes down a lot of the time. Later in the show, I'll speak with a paranormal researcher will provide us with a terminology to describe that weird shadow. This next storyteller also told me about a ghost experience at Humber College. Humber is one of the more notoriously haunted schools, but these stories came in independently of each other. Joey was caught by surprise one early morning there. I had already like heard ghost stories about Humber Lakeshore. From 2007 to 2009, I was at the North Campus and a friend of mine was at the Lakeshore Campus in a graphic design program. That's how I'd heard about all the ghost stories, mostly things that I wouldn't believe, that there's like a, a telephone in one of the rooms that's like really not plugged into anything, and rings from time to time. My understanding is that everything was situated on top of a hill, so there's like tunnels underneath the buildings, and the tunnels connect each building so that they could transfer patients around during the winter. You have to bring them outside, all that kind of stuff. A lot of the ghost stories stem around that. When I was in high school, a few friends of mine somehow got into the tunnels. There used to be a website about exploring tunnels in Toronto. I, I'm right. guessing it's been taken down, but this was a famous thing back in the early to the mid 2000s. Yeah, that sounds about right. For and me, yeah. there were directions for Humber. There were directions. You could do all sorts of stuff at U of T and the hospitals as well are connected downtown as well. Crazy. So yeah, Toronto's full of these tunnels connecting buildings thing. Little feature of the city. Back to my story, I guess. So I started in Humber Lakeshore 2010, 2011. 
This was just after Christmas. I got to the school early one morning. The cottages are usually open by security, but I got there at a point where the doors from the outside were open, but none of the classrooms or the labs were open yet. I had to do my work in the hallway. The building that I was in, as far as I know, the basement was considered the morgue part of the hospital. At the time, I was on the second floor, 637. You know, it's still kind of dark winter time. So I'm sitting in the hallway at a table working on my computer, finishing up a project, and out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something coming down from the opposite end of the hallway. It's white in color, I guess, but it's also see-through, and I thought for a minute that it was just because I was staring at my bright computer in a dark hallway. It's just like something like that, but I saw something move. So it was definitely moving like in my direction towards the hallway, but then it made a turn and went downstairs to the first level. It was definitely like a figure of a person and person looked female. Can't say for sure if it was someone dressed up as in a nurse. Definitely a female form and uh, for some reason nurse just kind of like pops into my head. I've heard a story about nurses at Humber who drowned themselves and commit suicide. Oh wow. But yeah, back to my story, I like closed my laptop I got up from my chair and I like ran to the stairwell and there was nothing there. Coogan told his story of a UFO encounter in the previous show, Episode 3, UFOs. At the time, he also shared this unique story about the time he brought his psychically gifted friend to a local abandoned school. I also couldn't resist including another story he told me, a first, about a haunted car. Another story. I have a friend of mine who you would call a medium. He's very sensitive to spirits and paranormal activities. We often like to go exploring abandoned buildings and whatnot. So there's this old abandoned schoolhouse on uh, York Street on the line in Sideline 8, just uh, south of Pitney. Everyone I bring to this abandoned schoolhouse, skeptic or believer, always gets creepy vibes in the like something is wrong. And uh, sure enough, I, I didn't tell her anything about the history of the building. We just pulled up and immediately she said, yeah, there's like a couple malicious spirits lurking about you. You know, we go exploring the property and whatnot. And she all of a sudden freezes and says, Coogan, we got to get out of here. I said, no, why? And she said, there's a big black figure standing next to the building. I can feel it saying, you know, get out. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? You're the expert. We'll get out. <laughs> As we're leaving, I turn around and I, sure enough, I see there was a very tall black figure standing next to the building. I couldn't explain what I see. I don't know if you watched Harry Potter, like those Dementors in that one movie. Someone wearing a big black cloak. Except it was impossibly tall for humans, around one story tall. We just gunned it out of there as fast as I could. <laughs> so we were driving away from the schoolhouse, and it, I collect vintage clothes. So the car I was driving at the time was in Cadillacville. This car was owned by a movie actress back in the day named Ingrid Stevens, and uh, she was popular on a show called Twilight Zone. She was with Clint Eastwood in a couple movies. Wait, did you say Twilight Zone? Yeah, yeah. That's, oh, come on, like my favorite show. <laughs> oh, yeah, Rod Sterling and all that? Ingrid Stevens, she was in a whole bunch of the episodes back then. That, that was the show that brought her to like, her stardom. She was 21 when she bought that car brand new and 
1961 in Pasadena, California. In 1970, she killed herself, uh, suicide. According to like stories of the time, she went into the car, sat there for three hours crying, then went into her house and uh, drank a cocktail, some sort of, and had a, like, a drug overdose to kill herself. Anyways, as we're driving away from the place, I haven't told my friend Julie anything about this. And uh, she's like, I think this car is haunted. I'm like, oh no, what do you mean the car is haunted? She was like, I can feel the presence of a woman here saying, get out of the car. She's not very happy. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I didn't tell you this car was owned by a woman. Anyways, I drop her off and whatnot. You know, I don't think twice and I go home. And I go with my buddies and we're out at the bar and I'm telling what Julia told me. These people, they don't believe in ghosts. They're all skeptics. As soon as I said that story, they're all like, Coogan. We have stories about your car, too. Because a couple of times we come near your house, pick you up to go to the boat, and there's a woman with a big hat sitting in the car. We thought, I don't know, you maybe you put like a dummy or a doll and, you know, make sure people think there's someone sitting in the car, maybe not to mess around with it. You know, at night, something. I'm like, no, I don't do any such thing. One of my buddies said uh, one time he pulled up to my house and then the headlights started flashing on and off on the car, even though there was no one in it. He just got creeped out and left. I'm thinking about all these stories, and I'm realizing ever since I bought the car, there's always been a, a perfume smell, like an overwhelming perfume smell that always comes and goes, and it smells like an old style, like Chanel Number no. Two perfume. So I don't know if I own the next Christine or not, but <laughs> it is what it is, I guess. If you've wondered where the stories in this episode came from, they were mostly submitted to me after I posted on Facebook asking for people's tales of haunted places. I've been paying for a sponsored post nationwide where people can find out about supernatural stories and submit their own stories for the show. If you have a story of your own that you think is unexplained and weird, you can go to supernaturalstories.ca, which will take you to the Facebook page where you can send a message and get in touch. If you can make a post online to share the show or tell a friend, I really appreciate that too, as word of mouth is also very important, both for getting more stories submitted to make more episodes, but also to get them heard, because that's the point. It's a free show. Anyone can show their generosity, though, to help support the online and poster ads by visiting patreon.com supernaturalstories. Patreon, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, is a site that supports myself and other podcast creators and entertainers by allowing you to contribute tiny micropayments to crowdfund the show. Any amount helps. An article came up yesterday about the Liz Towell Paranormal Society. They were investigating the Mackenzie Hall in Windsor, Ontario, using energy-detecting devices called EMFs. After their search, one EMF was left behind. The tiny black box with blinking light and a wire sticking off it was mistaken for a bomb. The Windsor Police Explosives Disposal Unit, aka the Bomb Squad, were called in to control the situation. But it wasn't long before they determined the truth. After speaking with the police and with reporters from TV stations, John was able to phone in and describe that night investigating at Mackenzie Hall. I found out about you, obviously, through the news story where you had an EMF detector 
that you had forgotten at Mackenzie Hall, which called in a bomb squad. Yes, yeah, that's correct. And I want to know what kind of activity that you saw that night at Mackenzie Hall. First off, we brought the team in. We had a little conversation with the person that was heading up Mackenzie Hall at the time. Got a couple of stories from her. We began our investigation about 9.15 p.m. We started off with two separate groups. We separated our team into two groups, and we started off in the basement and the second floor. For the first maybe half an hour, there was really nothing going on. We had our camcorders running with night vision. We had our EVP recorders out, and our EMF detectors, they were everywhere. And we have this thing called a REM pod. I'm not sure if you've heard it, you probably have. It's a round black and red device. It's got an antenna, and it's got all these little LED lights that there are different colored LED lights on the top of it. It's another form of an EMF. We turn it on and we set it down, and it will do nothing until the energy of whatever it is in the room goes near that antenna. Now, when that happens, it'll start lighting up and it'll start screaming this really weird noise. That allows us to know that there is something there, maybe not paranormal, but some kind of energy. Typically, paranormal investigators, when they do an investigation of any kind, we use the term go lights out, which means no power, nothing in that building or the facility we're at. So there shouldn't be anything that would set these devices off. My assistant director, Jen, she's the one that's been doing all the TV interviews. She was sitting down with a couple of other investigators in the changing room in McKenzie Hall. And she was asking for a specific entity by the name of George to come forward and speak with her for the first five or 10 minutes. It was nothing. And all of a sudden, she started talking to him again and that REM pod lit up and started squealing. So when she stopped, it stopped. Then she would ask another question and it would light up again and squeal again. We have this on video. She, re- she got this one with her phone. Did any of you get any creepy feelings or sensations when you were there in the building? Absolutely. There's three floors to McKenzie Hall. The basement, the main floor, and the upstairs. When we had left the upstairs after investigating the rooms up there, and then I used the stairs to go down to the basement, I wanted to do this by myself just to see. Sometimes, if you're in a group, it's harder to reach out and have these entities come forward to you. But if you're by yourself, I didn't see anything. And then I just got this weird chill. So I got onto my walkie-talkie and I called for the rest of my team to come down to the basement. When they all come down into the basement, we all heard this weird tapping sound. This is a solid foundation. It's not like your typical house that's got wood and drywall and all that, where you can have those creaks and those sounds. There's nothing down there but us at that time. And we all heard this tapping sound. We walked towards it and we started asking questions about it and then our EMF detector lit up again. I'm not going to say this is paranormal. I'm just going to say it's very abnormal that this happened. Well, it's unexplained. Very unexplained. I mean, it's not like it was the first time we'd have experienced things like this before. I have witnessed with my own eyes, we call a mist, almost like a shadow that would come across a wall or a floor or a ceiling or something. It was not like your typical shadow that a light would cast, you know? It was more like a solid black mass. I have seen that about two times in the last, I'd say, four or five years. Again, unexplainable. Paranormal investigators, they all call that a black mass. 
Now I've got another word to call it. I'd been referring to it as a shadow figure, an apparition, but I spoke to someone at Humber and they couldn't find the words to describe it, but what they saw was a black mass, just an absence of light, an extreme darkness in this shadowy way that moved slowly. Exactly. Yes. It cuts out the light and all the surroundings around you in that area where it's at. It cuts out everything. You can see it move right across and cut the lights out. If there is a glimmer of light anywhere, it'll block that right out as it's passing through it. It's pretty intense. You get that overwhelming feeling until it's gone. So I read that back when its original use was not as a community social center, that inmates were executed at Mackenzie Hall. Yes, they were. They would hand down the sentences of people that were charged with certain crimes. And they were hung there as well. There is a room in Mackenzie Hall that is said to be where the bodies had fallen after being hung. Like that building has a natural eeriness to it from inside and outside. In certain areas, you can still get that scent of history almost. We're going to be investigating it again. We've been invited back. And I do believe that one more investigation, at least one more, will get us some more evidence. So I've just followed and liked your page. I want to give out the address, which is on Facebook. People can look up Liz Tao Paranormal Society, and they can also go to LizTaoParanormalSociety.ca, which is spelled L-I-S-T-O-W-E-L Paranormal Society.ca. I wanted to ask, you're located in Windsor, Ontario, right? This is correct, yes. So why uh, the name Liz Tao, which is 300 kilometers from Windsor? There was a really famous case that happened in the 1800s in Listowel. I used to have what was called the Essex County Paranormal. We changed it from that to Listowel because of this case, the Listowel Ripper. It seems like ever since we've changed that name, it's... It's, it's generated a lot more of a buzz. Well, I really relate it to your whole mission, and I'm going to follow you guys ongoing. So I'm glad that I saw that story the other day. You know, everybody wants a story. Everybody wants a story. Everybody's trying to do something, and I can appreciate everything you're doing. The grand opening of this next theater in 1908 featured Puccini's Madame Butterfly. The Walker Theater in Winnipeg had an auditorium that could seat about 1,800 people. Those with ground seats paid $2 for unobstructed views of the performers and those in the cheap seats on the balcony floor saw the show for 25 cents. It went through numerous renovations before reopening in 1991. Did any of those renovators ever experience anything weird there, I wonder? Lauren was very freaked out by her experience there on the balcony. It was probably 1996. 
So I was about 17, and I was working at, it used to be called the Walker Theatre, it's now the Burton Cummings Theatre in Winnipeg. I was an usher and I did concession there. It was during this musical that was playing there that I loved. It was called Forever Plaid, and I was an usher on the second floor, which is the first balcony. And I was just kind of listening to the music that was playing. I had all these oldies kind of playing, and I was kind of popping along, and all of a sudden I could hear these heavy footsteps walking towards me. And I was just kind of froze in place. It's not above me on the other balcony. Kind of confusing for a minute, like, what is, where is that coming from? And then it came towards me, and it went right past me. And I just kind of froze there as it walked past me, and felt the air changed, everything kind of changed. A lighting change going past me. I barreled downstairs to the lobby. <laughs> And my boss was down there at the concession talking to one of the other employees. And I guess I looked very shaken. And he came up to me and was like, what's going on? And I told him what happened. He was trying to shush me so that I wouldn't freak anybody out. And he's like, you know, I still need you to see people up there. And I'm like, once people start coming, I'll go up. But I'm not standing up there by myself. Because, you know, I'm 17 and I just realized there's actually ghosts. So it was just kind of disconcerting. Lauren also has stories about a haunted house that you'll hear about if you keep listening for future episodes. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes and SoundCloud to get the latest Supernatural stories, and you can also follow posts at facebook.com supernaturalpodcast or supernaturalstories.ca. The final storyteller in this episode saw an ad I made for the Montreal area asking if they had ever seen a ghost. Gigi told me stories about a haunted apartment in Montreal and about time on the res seeing the spirit people call the hat man, stories that will be part of future episodes. But this next story jumped right out, and I'm glad to share it with you finally. It takes place at a concert at the Member 2 First Nation near Sydney, Nova Scotia. I can tell you a really good ghost story that never failed an audience. In 2008, there was a concert in Sydney, Nova Scotia, Buffy St. Marie, was playing the concert. It was one of the native sober events where you have to go sober. And me and my sister went there. We were sober because we were we were broke. We went there anyway. When we got there, it was so boring, you know, and not a lot of people there, and uh, we didn't have money. I told my sister, maybe we should go back home. You know, I'm from Montreal. And I'm known as a hustler. So my sister said, how can you leave the concert without hustling? We were just about to leave and I seen this older man that I used to hustle off. I stopped my sister and I said, hey, I can hustle from this old man. I used to go with him. She said, go ahead. I went over to him. My sister was watching and I hugged. He was my friend that I haven't seen in about 20 years. I'm not going to say his name because he was a famous person, but I'll call him Carl. I said, hey, Carl, how you doing? I haven't seen you since I was 18. He said, you look good. What can I do for you? I said, me and my sister are trying to hustle. We're trying to get 50 bucks. He said, come over to my place after the concert. After the concert, I went to his place and I knocked on the door. Mind you, I had gone to this place before and there was a young woman who answered the door. I said, yes, um, is Carl home? He said, sorry, no, uh, 
uh, Carl died 10 years ago today. I said, what? Can't be. I just seen him at the concert. Don't mess me up. She said, Carl died 10 years ago today. And he would have loved to be at that concert. So I said, oh, I was feeling bad because I still didn't hustle. I didn't manage to get any money. So I got down the driveway and there was a paper flying under a rock. I looked at it and it was a $50 bill. <laughs> he was actually a really nice man. Yeah, how was that story? Thank you for listening to Supernatural Stories. I'm your host, Cal Goodbaum. These have all been real stories from real people across Canada. The music featured in this show was by Buffy St. Marie and the Sadies with We Are Circling, Long, Long, Long with You'll Not Guess Who I Met in Minnesota, Transient with Spooky Outro, Palika y Comandos with Café Gatha, and Creeper Robusto with Draft Funk. The rest were original tracks composed for the show. If you want to contribute any small amount of money towards the production of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash supernatural stories. The funds can help pay for the sponsored posts and postering campaigns, which attract story submissions. If you have a story of your own to contribute, you can do that at supernaturalstories.ca or facebook.com slash supernaturalpodcast. Till next time.